This is a solemn message. I want to tell you, I've been reading and studying. For those of you that are part of 3ABN's, I don't call it 3ABN's programming. I call it the 3ABN hurricane vortex, right? Ian and Angela and those of you, Greg and Jill, I don't know how they survived the week. When we get that schedule on Sunday and we look at the week's, uh, the outline of the week, uh, some of the workers, I remember I was talking to Jamie and, uh, and uh, as she's on camera now, uh, I said, well, what do you do when you go home? She said, I just crash. 15-hour days, and her husband, Brandon, and they're there every day working, and they're there in the mornings early and get back after lunch and adjusting cameras and putting sets together, and they're there like Thursday Night Live. They were there. They couldn't wait. When, when the clock hits zero, they flee 3 ABN as though there's a famine. Yeah, they just run in every direction. Thank you for your diligent work, all of you. But today's message, I said that to say this. With all that heavy schedule, I find some place in that delicate schedule of the week to pause and study this critical message. This message is of such critical nature that the destiny of every human being hinges on the seal of God or the mark of the beast. There's no third category. There's no waiting room when this time comes. There's no let me decide which side I want to be on. Everyone alive at that time will either receive the seal of God or the mark of the beast. And so today I want you to really be in an attitude of prayer because I'm, I'm not that I'm just learning, but I know that this is far bigger than any one religious movement. It's far bigger than the Adventist church. It's far bigger than all the impact that Rome has had uh, throughout history. It's far bigger than any single political power. It's huge. It is, in fact, the culmination of a thousands of years of battling between Christ and Satan. And Satan is about to unroll an arsenal that he has been working on to 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 specificity, to tolerances of anger and hostility toward God's truth as we have never seen and will never again see. So it's important not just to understand the intellectual impact of this message, but to understand why it's important for you to make your decision as to where to stand before that time comes. That's the preamble. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to go into the sermon. Loving Father, gracious God, the revealer of truth, the one who alone can send the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. I am just flesh and blood. I am just a human. And Lord, I pray this morning that you will extend to me the divine aid I need and that you'll work on the hearts and minds of everyone listening and those walking through this critical journey to the final movements of the end. I pray that you'll find fertile soil, that you will awaken in the hearts of those who hear this message a determination to be ready. And I pray this, that all the glory go only to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10. And I'm reading this in the King James Version, and I'll tell you why later. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but if not, you can follow me on the screen, those of you that are home. This, in fact, is the final of the three angels' messages. I'm, I'm discovering that the gravity and the power behind these three messages is something that we really won't understand until the whole battle is over. These three angels are antithetical to the three unclean spirits. For everything that God has established in this final eschatological battle between light and darkness, truth and error, Satan has gone through his file cabinet to find out, okay, if God has this, I'm going to have this. If God is going to do that, I'm going to do that. So before I go into the depth of the message, I just want to say in the beginning, as I looked through the parallels in Revelation and the parallels throughout the Bible, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan is the roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the morning star, Lucifer, Jesus is the bright and morning star. You find so many parallels. Even in the Day of Atonement services every year, there were two goats, one representing Jesus and another one representing Satan, the one that was banished in the wilderness. So many parallels. There's a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Satan now comes in as a lamb-like beast to cloak his identity and accomplish on humanity. Something to the magnitude that this world has not yet seen. And if you think tsunamis and earthquakes and wars and pandemics have racked the planet, I want to say to you, like, just imagine that Satan is the driver or he's the pilot in the plane and you get on board and he locks the doors and he says to you, this is your last flight. Brethren, the devil intends for this battle to be the last flight for human history. And his aim is to get you on board so that he can become the kamikaze of your destiny and pile your life straight into the depths of hell with a smile on his face. So I don't want to tiptoe this morning. I want to be sensitive. I'm not preaching against any particular denomination. I'm not speaking against any particular leader. But I'm just going to be conveying what God's word says. And so put on your boots. Put on your waders. We're going to walk into the word of God, the water of life, in a way that will cause you to be humbled when you appreciate its magnitude and depth. Revelation 14, verse 9 the third angel, the last of the three messages. And the third angel followed them, that is the first and second proclamation, saying with a what kind of voice? Loud. loud voice, a voice of urgency. If any man 
worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out. This is a powerful analogy, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. Try to put that into, into a movie in your head. The holy angels and the lamb standing there watching you tormented with fire and brimstone. I must make a point here. God never intended for hell to be for people. Hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. So God is not some guy that just can't wait to destroy people in hell. But he leaves the choices up to us. And if we decide to take the side of the adversaries of God, then we will be on the side that stands against God. And let me make it very clear. God has no plans on losing the final battle. And if you think Satan's arsenal is bad in the sense of good, you wait till God unfolds his arsenal. You think Satan's got a whole lot on his side. He's got just one third. God's got two thirds. God's got something else going for him. He could wrap this planet in glory and destroy everyone that stands against him with the brightness of his coming. Devil's got to work on second class equipment because God is not giving him anything that will supersede the arsenal of almighty God. But last Sabbath, I ended the sermon with a question. Is it possible that the mark of the beast and the seal of God in the forehead are literal? I'll repeat that again. Is it possible that the mark of the beast in the forehead and the seal of God in the forehead are literal? I'll answer that question at the end of the sermon. But allow me to, to establish some very important cautions. It's important to have cautions. You know, when you get on a ride, they say, is your seatbelt buckled? If, it, if it's a roller coaster, they check to make sure that that bar is locked. If you're on the plane, there's always a caution. Put your tray table in an upright and locked position. I could almost recite everything the pilots and the, and the, and the flight attendants have said. It, there's always a caution. There is a caution when it comes to facing the end. And this is huge. Matthew 24 shares this caution with us. Jesus, in his words to the disciples, pointed to the ultimate aim of Satan. He says, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show together great signs and wonders. For what purpose? To deceive. And I'll, don't miss these two words. What are they? If possible, 
even the elect. Now, the reason I had to emphasize if possible is because I, I sometimes get a, an itch in my neck when I hear pastors say that the elect will be deceived. They will not be deceived. That's why the Bible says, if possible. What does that mean, however? The elect will not be deceived, but the elect will be challenged within an inch of their lives. That's why Peter said, if the righteous are scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? That's why Jesus said, he that shall endure unto the what? And shall be saved. That's why he said, there shall be a time of trouble, Daniel, such as never was ever since there was a nation, even to that same time. We are, we are poised on the deck of the revealing of a panoramic display of satanic hate and divine love as you have never seen it before. So if you don't have a sure grip on truth, you will not be among the elect. Another word for elect is remnant. And I want to really squeeze this orange slowly. The remnant message will produce the elect. Now, why did I say that? Because somehow... We as Sabbath-keeping Seventh-day Adventists that have 28 fundamentals that are solidly based on the Bible, praise God for that. Sometimes we get the security and the efficacy and the scriptural accuracy of our message, and we use that to say that we are secure. No, our message is secure. This is a remnant message. But I'm mindful of the Bible that there are, as the Lord gave the picture of the church, he said there are five that are wise, there are five that are foolish. He said, when the crisis hour comes, only those who are covered by the power of the Holy Spirit, who have enough oil in their lamps, will make it through the crisis hour. And Ellen White refers to that as the unlooked-for calamity that brings us face-to-face -face with death to see whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. And she says, when that, time's when that time comes, probation is closed. There'll be five wise and five foolish. So I want to make it very clear that because you are a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Christians of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, don't lean back in your lazy boy recliner thinking that your seat is secure. You've got to have a daily infilling of the Spirit of God. You have got to trust God as you trust your vision every time you look in any particular direction. You've got to trust God more than your own eyesight. Because the Apostle Paul said something about ancient Israel that is true about us. Look what he says in Romans 9 and verse 6. He addressed how 
a people can be so filled with truth throughout the centuries for more than a thousand or almost 2000. How could people have so much truth and yet turn their backs in a crisis hour? Paul described why that happened. Romans 9 verse 6, he says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. In other words, the problem is not God's word, but here's what he said. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. He is saying that there was a condition among the Jews. They were born Hebrews, Jews, children of Israel. And when you follow the course of human history, you find that on the way into slavery, they were called Hebrews. Coming out of Egypt, they were called Israelites. But if you put a banner over all of them, it's the Jewish nation. They were so secure in their beliefs that they rejected the Messiah. So he said, because they say they're from Israel, they are not really Israel. Because Paul goes on to say, if anyone is in Christ, he is Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. So the Israel that's represented in Revelation chapter 7 is not a literal 12 tribes. It is a spiritual identity of the remnant who are sealed in the time of the end. And every tribe that is mentioned identifies a particular weakness that that tribe or that individual has overcome to qualify by the blood of the lamb to be identified as spiritual Israel. In other words, everybody, every one of us has to overcome something by the blood of the lamb. Say amen. To him that overcometh. Seven times you find in the messages to the seven churches, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh. And then you find an extra one down later on in Revelation. They overcame by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. So it's not about being in the, you could be born in the Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh Adventist family, but if you don't know Jesus, you're just a Seventh-day Adventist by identity, but not by relationship. But as we approach the end, Satan, knowing that what happened to Israel was effective, he's seeking to accomplish it again. And there's something that's going to come upon us called the shaking. What is it called? The shaking. So as we approach the return of Jesus, Satan is still working to deceive. But since he cannot deceive the elect, he is working with hellish intensity to shake your faith. Not only that, <laughs> this is amazing. Not only is he working to shake your faith, but as God had to shake Israel. And you'll find there's a cadence in scripture that in every walk of life, God had to shake the apples and separate them from the oranges. See, they had the general identity of I'm a fruit, but God said, no, I don't want an app. I don't want an orange. I want an apple. So not everybody that was raised in the Hebrew nation, not everyone that walked as a Galilean was a person that was dedicated to Christ. And so you find that the Lord had to go outside 
of the children of Israel and choose 12 disciples, men of humble beginning, some well-trained, some well-educated, some very wealthy. But he chose those who found security in trusting and worshiping him rather than just their identity. So as we get to the end, the Lord is going to shake his church. He's going to see who wants to be a part of the elect and who's just comfortable being a member. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 27. The Bible talks about this. It precedes this passage by talking about the shaking. But now the writer of Hebrews begins with these two words in Hebrews 12 and verse 27. It says, now this yet once more indicates that the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, and watch this, that the things which cannot be shaken, what are the last two words, may remain. If you don't think we're living during the time of the shaking, then I don't know what you're waiting for. The sifting and the shaking, you know, being raised, my job when mom made cakes, or she gave me the flour. Ladies, you've been around long enough. Those of you that bake cakes, you know that sifter? It has a strainer, three-level strainer. The first one is wide. The next one a little narrow. The small one is really fine. And mom used to say, now, you sift the flour. I, was, I thought, man, the flour's already been in the bag. Why sift it? I was surprised when I put that flour in that sifter, and I had to go, and those, those nets, those strainers go in all different directions and then the big stones stay at the top and the, the smaller ones make it through to the next level, but only the really fine ones can make it through that really fine strainer. And she said, do it again. Until the flour looks like powder. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about? The flour falls like baby powder. She said, now I'll use that in the cake and I say, well, why? She says, because I don't want anybody eating my cake and find a stone in it. So God is saying, I don't want my church to be seen and people find spots and wrinkles in it or any such thing. So I'm going to shake it to make sure that they are without spot and without blemish, that there's no, that there's no wrinkles that there's nothing in them. I want to have a pure bride. I got to shake them. So if your, if your life goes through trials, just endure it because God is seeing whether or not, if you could handle trials now, then he's qualifying you and getting you ready for the difficulty that comes from people that not don't like you, hate you. The devil, the devil doesn't have a I don't like you attitude. He loathes you. He hates you with a vehement hate that we have never known. So when the shaking is done, the phrase once more means that the shaking is going to be so great that only those who cannot be shaken will remain. And that's why prophecies that have been established in the Bible are being ignored with the notion by many last-day Christians. They say, well, the mark of the beast has to mean something else. It's, it can't just still mean what it meant in John's day or what it meant in Daniel's. It's got to mean something else. So the devil now has people that are ignoring prophecies that have been prayerfully 
and painstakingly and Holy Spirit led established and identified they're now looking for something other than what God's word has already verified with the idea and the notion that there's got to be some new interpretation. And I can tell you how many are succumbing to that, not just members, but pastors also. Slick talking people that have their own independent ministries sometimes, and it's not the independent ministry, that's the issue. But some people grab onto the tail of a tiger and they ride him through the desert thinking that he is a horse until he stops and turns around and bites their head off. I can tell you about pastors who have walked away because they have been looking for some new interpretation. And they end up in some cult somewhere. I've had to stop some of our church members from following slick-talking people that massage their minds saying to them, move with me to somewhere in South America. Or, or, and you know that there were some Seventh-day Adventists that lost their lives in the Jim Jones cult because they did not stand on the established prophecies of God's word. And they ended up where God never intended for them to end up. David Koresh was a nice young Seventh-day Adventist young man. He gave Bible studies in a church not too far from mine on Sabbath afternoons. At one of our churches I know very well. He went from great intellect and his heart twisted somewhere. And the devil used him and you know the rest of the story of Waco. Unfortunately, he started applying the prophecies to himself, going so far as even identify himself, identifying himself as the Messiah. How could that happen? Because those people got shaken because they did not have a sure grip. They did not trust what God's word says. And don't ever forget, God, Jesus doesn't need to be around in 2021 to identify what's happening in 2021. He says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from what? Ancient times, things that are not yet done. He said, I saw it come. Isn't that, isn't that a praise God that we serve a Jesus who says this is what's going to happen? And I'm going to tell John and Peter and Paul and Silas, and when you come into the picture, I'm going to tell you. That's why I said to disciples, I have a lot of things I want to say to you, but you can't handle them right now. It's called, and that's why the, the, Paul the apostle says, these mysteries that have been hidden hidden are now being revealed. Now, why does Jesus do that? Because he doesn't want to give the enemy upper hand information on his church. But some people with this thirst to have all the pieces connected, they find an itching ear person in their own denomination, and it happens amongst us, that they figured it out, they say, and they leave no room for the Holy Spirit to say, that's not it. And I'll tell you, just before the time comes, or at the time of its fulfillment. That's why the Lord said to Daniel, seal up the vision, for it is yet for an appointed time. That's why Habakkuk said, wait for it. At the end, it will speak and it will not lie. But some people want to get all the pieces together, 
that they speculate. And what happens when their speculations fail? Your faith is shaken. And you say, I don't want to be a Seventh-day Adventist because they got it wrong. No, we didn't get it wrong. Things established will always be established. Can you say amen? amen? Don't go down a rabbit hole because somebody wrote a book. Start with the word of God. What do you say? Amen. And this is, this is a, a quote that really amazed me from the book Christ in the Sanctuary, page 24 and paragraph 2. Listen to what Ellen White says. She said, the Savior foretold that in the latter days, what days? Latter days, false prophets would appear and draw away disciples after them. And also that those who in this time of peril should stand faithful to the truth that is specified in the book of Revelation, she says, would have to meet doctrinal errors so specious, that means erroneous, that if it were possible, the very elect would be deceived. What is being told by the Bible and what is being communicated through Ellen White in harmony with the Bible, she's saying, you don't have an idea. You don't have a clue how deceptive the devil can be. But Satan has taken his aim at those that have been given particular light on Revelation because he knows, as it was in the days of the Jews, he knows that any misunderstanding of the truth leads to keeping his intentions disguised. How sad it was when you read in the book of Matthew when the, when the, um, the, three, the wise men, not three wise men, but when the wise men came to Jerusalem, the star led them to Jerusalem, and they asked, where is he born king of the Jews? And the religious leader said, um, let's see. I think according to Micah, the prophet we heard is supposed to be in Bethlehem of Ephrata, but they were not there. God picked three men from the region where Solomon and Balaam was from. Why were they wise? Because they studied the prophecies. If you don't study the prophecies and take for granted that, you could just grab the 28 final manuals or Bible reading for the home when the crisis comes. My brother, when, when there's no Bibles to be found, the word of God better be hidden in your heart. That's why Jesus warned us, he said in John 12, verse 35. Then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. And he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Does not know. But the good news is, when we refuse to abandon truth, it will become clearer. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter. 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, there are people that don't know where they're going because they're not standing on the sure word of prophecy. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, he says, we have also a what, friends? More sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well to take heed. Why? As a light that shineth where? In a dark place. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. He is saying, Hang on till the sun rises. And what's in the dark will be clearly seen. Hang on, Brandon, till the sun rises. Don't give up because it's going to get dark. 
because darkness will cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but God will not leave his people in darkness. Satan wants us to believe that somehow as we get closer to the end, that God's word is going to lose relevance, it's going to become dimmer than it was in the past. However, God said his word will not get dimmer. It will increase in luminosity and understanding. Look at the wise man, what he said in Proverbs 4 and verse 18. The wise man Solomon said, but the path of the just is as, a, is as the shining light, and I love this, that shineth, together say it, more and more unto the what? Perfect day. You know, when you see it, if you are standing on a train track, on a long straight train track at night, you might first see something that looks like a pin light and think that that's just a firefly. And when you stand there long enough, Ricky, you find out that it's a 300 car locomotive. But you stood there long enough for the light to get brighter and brighter. Light doesn't only get brighter, but it will shake the foundation on which you stand like a locomotive coming at full speed. Don't discount what seems to you right now to be a pinhole of light or a firefly of light. Hang on, keep studying, and what seems to be just a pinhole of understanding will become brighter and brighter. It'll shine more and more unto the perfect day. Because that's how God works. He doesn't give you all at the same time. He says, hang on, and it'll become clearer. That's what we are told in John 12 and verse 36. While you have the light, what should we do, friends? Believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now, I know you guys have a flight to catch, but that was foundation. It is important to mention now as we go into Revelation that Revelation 13, 13 is the eschatological narrative that proceeds from the last verse in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation is broken down into a historical aspect Praise God, we can look back at that and see, yes, God's word can be trusted. But then it switches from, an, from a historical aspect to an eschatological aspect where it says, where the Lord says, I've shown you how the devil has worked. I've shown you how the message has progressed. Now I'm going to reveal to you what he is going to do in the end. And here's the reason why the devil is going to do it. Revelation 12, verse 17 is the pivotal point between the historical and the eschatological, meaning last day movements of the powers of darkness and the powers of light. So the question is, what is Satan's attitude? And what is he trying to do? Let me suggest, Satan is going to reveal his anger against God's church, and he is going to put into action measures to try to stamp her out. Here's the evidence. Revelation 12 and verse 17, the pivotal, the fulcrum point between history and eschatology. The Bible says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, angry with the church, and went to make what? War with the what? Remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of of Jesus Christ. His attitude is, I hate her. I hate 
her. I'm going to war against her. And what is he warring against? He's warring against the remnant church and the remnant message. So watch this. So while he's warring against the remnant church that God has established, on this rock I build my church, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, the Lord has already established a remnant movement. He has established a remnant message. But the devil is saying, when I'm done with you, are you going to be a part of that remnant? But the truth about the beast is not hidden. It is concealed like pieces in a puzzle. So it is imperative for us to put all the pieces together, Randy. Put all the pieces together so that when we turn over the puzzle, we can find the face of Jesus. You know the story. I'm resist telling it to you. Okay, I'll tell it to you. The little boy that was irritating his father, his father couldn't get any work done. Remember that story? And his dad just picked up a piece of paper and tore it up and said, go put that back together. He came back in about two minutes. He said, did you put that back together so fast? He said, yes. How'd you do that? He said, well, on the other side was a picture of Jesus. I just put his face together. You see, brethren, if you're looking for Jesus, you can put the pieces together. Can you say amen? If you're just looking for new understandings and new theology and new, new, new teachings, that's not the issue. You've got to look for Jesus. Jesus is the revealer. He is the light of the world. He is the one who understands all mystery. He is the one who has all knowledge. He's the alpha, the omega. But Revelation 13 is the middle of the picture because the first beast connected to the number, name, image, and mark is reintroduced. And, when we read, and as we read Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2, we'll find that this is not the first time the beast has been introduced on the scene. John simply reintroduces him. Let's look at it together. Revelation 13, verse 1 and 2. All right. And I stood, on, and I stood upon the sand of the sea. And so a beast rise up out of the what? Sea. Having... Seven heads and ten horns. I talked about that last Sabbath. And upon his horns, how many crowns? Ten crowns. And upon his heads, the name of blasphemy. A blasphemous name. And verse 2. And the dragon which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a Lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat, and what else? Great authority. So we find this beast, seven heads, ten horns. And by the way, when the Bible talks about seven heads and ten horns, that's not John is not the first one to introduce that. Daniel talked about that. So as you look at this chart very carefully, look at that together. You see 605 BC on the far left and 96 AD on the far right. In 605 B.C., the beginning of the Babylonian Empire, Daniel existed in the Babylonian Empire. Just read Daniel chapter 7. In the year of Belshazzar, Daniel is given the vision during the reign of Babylon. So Daniel is looking forward. Look at the arrow. Daniel is looking forward to Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Daniel is looking forward. By the time we get to 96 A.D., John is looking backward. But these beasts have not changed in their chronological sequence. John is in Rome when he starts writing about what has passed. Daniel is in Babylon when he's writing about what is to come. So Daniel now gives a picture of 
the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the ten-horned beast. John is living in the ten-horned nation, so he goes back from the ten horns to the leopard, the bear, and the lion. So when you see the picture that he develops in Revelation chapter 13, he talks about that, the leopard, the bear, the lion. He's looking back. The nation that, just, that was just taken off the scene to establish the Roman Empire was the Grecian Empire. He's looking back. And let me, why is this important? Why is this so critically important? Why is it important? By rejecting this schematic, by rejecting the chronology of history, people are looking for something that the Bible has already confirmed is already clear. Was Babylon the great world empire? Yes. Did it fall? Yes. Was there a Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. You don't even need to read the Bible alone. Read the pages of history. These are confirmed by historians, people that don't have any particular denominational persuasion. John is simply reiterating. But after John introduces Rome, he takes us on a prophetic journey, revealing, revealing Satan's impact until the close of history, and he's saying to us, Satan works through powers. Say that with me, what? Satan works through powers. He's going to show up himself, but until he shows up on the scene and tries to personate Christ and the world think that Jesus has come and he's walking on the earth, until that happens, he is going to work through earthly powers. Are we going to see Jesus again? Who was and is and is to come. Is the devil going to try to personate Christ? Yeah, that's why Jesus said, if they say he is in the desert, don't believe it. On the secret chamber, do not go out. He's going to do it. But none of those powers stand on their own authority. And the papal Roman power, the, the, the pagan Roman power that John began to write Revelation under became later on the papal Roman power. Don't forget, he said the dragon gave him his power, his seat, and his great authority. Now let's look at something. When Rome came into power, it had ten horns. Three of those horns were rooted up by a little horn, and that was the rise of the papacy. Is that clear? If you know history, that's clear. If you don't understand that, I've done presentations in the past. But you can find out about that. But when papal Rome rose into prominence during the medieval times, they began to ruthlessly get rid of nations that opposed them. And a little horn came up. That was the transition from papal, from pagan to papal Rome from just a political power to a religio-political power. So when you look back at this little horn in Daniel 7 and the sea beast in Revelation 13, you find these prominent identities that they connect on. Both spoke against the Most High. Both blaspheme against God. Both exercise authority for a similar period of time. 1260 years, in Daniel, 42 months. In Revelation chapter 13, both have 10 horns. So John is saying, keep your eyes focused. Don't miss it. 
I'm talking about pagan to papal Rome, who's going to be that earthly power that Satan is going to work through until he shows up himself. And then Paul, the apostle gives us a glimpse of how this is going to happen. Paul, the apostle, it began to even start in his day. Paul, the apostle existed under the rulership of Rome. That's why when he was accused of causing havoc and he was arrested, he appealed to Caesar and he was on a journey in Acts chapter 27 to Rome. And look what Paul, the apostle wrote in second Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight and nine. He says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the what brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. He is saying this verse is not referring to Satan himself. He is saying the power that comes is a product of Satan's work. And where was Paul existing? Under the auspices of the Roman Empire. He knows what he was talking about. He understood very clearly. So both the Apostle Paul and John the Revelator connect this power as appearing according to the working of Satan. Ha! You ready for the transition? Revelation 13, verse 11. Because I briefly summarized how they had the similarities, Old Testament, New Testament, but there's another power that must enter the scene before the puzzle is completed. Revelation 13, verse 11, and here it is. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the what? Earth. He had what? Two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Immediately, David, we see Differences and we see similarities. What two words did I say? This side, what do we see? Differences. differences. What this side, see what? Similarities. We see differences and we see similarities. When this beast comes up, the second beast of Revelation 13, because there are only two in Revelation 13, when this beast comes up, they have differences and similarities. What is the difference? The first beast of Revelation 13 comes up out of the sea. The second beast comes up out of the earth. You're going to learn something this morning. The similarities, both are associated with the dragon. The dragon gave the first beast his power, his seed, and great authority. This other one, who has a lamb-like appearance, eventually starts to be the mouthpiece for the dragon. Speaks like a dragon. Now scratch your forehead because you live in the nation that this identifies. <laughs> if you've been around long enough, the stuff that we've been hearing over the last, leave it alone, John. The dragon's been speaking. That's all I'm going to say. That's right. Shouting, somebody said. <laughs> That's right. Y'all need to stop listening to the shouts of the dragon and listen to the whispers of the voice of God's Holy Spirit. He's not in the thunder and lightning, but in the still small voice when you read your Bible. But now I want you to get this. The sea and the earth. Say those with me. The, the sea 
sea and the earth. Now, this is going to open your eyes to see something that you probably try to find a way to associate and get together. All right? This is a thinking man's sermon. Revelation 12, 12 predicted that this coalition would occur, the sea beast and the beast of the earth. Revelation 12, 12 predicted that this would occur. Look at a passage that from now on you'll understand what it means. Listen to what Jesus says through John the Revelator. Therefore, speaking about the intensity of Satan in the end time, he says, therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But look at this. Woe to the inhabitants of the what? Earth and of the what? Sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. Can I pause and say something? Because you just read it and didn't catch it. Maybe some of you caught it. If you caught it, raise your hand. Okay. Shelly caught it. Did you catch it? You caught it, Joe. What? The earth beast. Woe to the inhabitants of the United States. Woe to those who follow Rome. For the devil through these two auspices has come down unto you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. We've been trying to figure out, are there people living in the sea? How is that possible? Who's living in the sea? No, no, but the Bible says inhabitants of the sea. Is Aquaman real? No. That means the beast came up out of the sea. Rome. United States came up out of the earth. Woe to those who are in any one of these two categories. For the one behind it is the dragon, Satan, because he knows he has a short time. And he is going to use these two powers to orchestrate his final movements with razor precision, satanic accuracy. And Revelation 12, verse 14 to 16, gives us more food to understand who this earth piece is. We don't have to guess. Look at Revelation 12, verse 14 to 16. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. The Bible says, but the woman, the woman represents the church in Revelation chapter 12, but the woman during the time of persecution, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the what? Into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's the 1260 years of persecution, the dark ages from the presence of the serpent. God knew how to hide his church. Watch this, verse 15. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her, I want you to grab this word, that he might do what? Cause her. What word did I just use? Cause. Put that on the line, that circle, that, put a dot around it, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. You're going to see that word cause again. But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. When the United States was established during the transition of the crumbling going down of the Roman Empire, 1798, 22 years before 1798, 1770s, before 1798, 
22 years earlier, in 1776, this nation declared its independence. 22, as America is coming up out of the earth, the sea beast is going down, a deadly wound. Why is that so significant? Read your history. The Puritans, the pilgrims, they came to America looking for a place where they can have religious freedom, religious liberty. Let me ask you a question. They came to America to a place where they felt that their conscience was their only guide and that they can follow God's word without any fear of reprisal. Do we still live in that kind of society? No. You say anything that anybody disagrees with, whether politically or religiously, you'll find that you no longer are enjoying what, what is called liberty of conscience. You mention something against any particular political leader or any kind of religious leader, you'll find out immediately Satan's wrath will be up upon you. Liberty of conscience. But there was a time that America stood so firmly. It was a Protestant nation and a republic. It was grassroots, bottom up, by the people, for the people. Rome was top down. We said, you do it. Oh, but, but I want you to keep, it was a kingly power. And what Revelation is telling us is even though the beast from the sea has a long history, it has to give way to the beast that rises from the earth. It is interesting, though, that while Rome is going down, another beast is rising. And the second beast of Revelation 13, which is historically, unequivocally, in all comparisons, the only power existing in history at that time was the power of the fledgling infant, the United States, called a lamb, not a sheep. A little lamb. Two horns, a Republican form of government and a Protestant form of religion. And Rome could not even think of coming to America. And I was in Washington and heard the, the Pope speak from the steps of the White House. I thought, John would turn over in his grave if he knew what was happening in America. Or he would shout and say, I knew it. God showed it to me. And I got to tell somebody. So since John the Revelator can't tell it, John Loma has got to tell it. And Doug Batchelor and Mark Finley and... And, and John Bradshaw and all those guys who are not fearful of telling the truth like it is. Because on this pendulum hang your life and my life, your destiny and my destiny. But I want you to grab something. The United States speaks like a dragon. You may remember, very short passage, I don't think I put it here. But in Matthew 26, 73, when Peter said to the Lord, and I talked about this last Sabbath, he said, I will not deny you. I won't deny you. When Peter was cornered by a person that recognized him, when Peter spoke, she said in Matthew 26, 73, your speech betrays you. Now grab this. You get it, Don? Your speech betrays you. When a nation says it's religious, listen to how it speaks. What's called Christian today is anything but Christian in America. I don't, Lord, please put up a wall that I don't go down that road because we have gone through such political garbage in this nation supported by those claiming to be connected to Christ and there's no way that that identifies the lovely Jesus, what we saw happening in this nation. 
And now religion has become a litmus test to people that don't keep the commandments. But claim to know Christ. He said, your speech betrays you. Are you ready for another epiphany? Why is it important to listen rather than just to watch? Isaiah 8 and verse 20. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is how much, Joe? No light in them. Now, I want you to grab this, brethren, because we are in the midst of a deception of deceptions. I'm almost done. The devil's not as stupid. He's not a guy on the bottle of pepper sauce. He's not some hideous character that comes out in Halloween. He is an intellectual angel who's seeking ways to pull us in. And I'm watching it play out in my, right before my eyes. We live in a unique environment today, a unique society where Christian music plays a major role. He is saying, brethren, don't get caught by this song. Find out what they're saying. Because music was the instrument that Nebuchadnezzar used when he established his image and said to the Hebrews, you better bow down. Brethren, let me say it as humbly as I can as a musician, as a person that loves to sing. Don't let music become your ticket to the image of the beast. Don't allow music to cause you to bow at the wrong altar because it made you feel a certain way. The devil's smarter than we think he is. There's some great Christian songs. Praise God for the ones that I, we listen to and it brings us to the place where we can see Christ more clearly. But don't ever think that music is the stamp by which the battle is going to be hinged. It's over the truth of God's word. It's about worship. Can the church of God say amen? amen? So when people tell you that the Lord is speaking through them and the Lord has given them visions and the Lord is talking to them, Isaiah 8.20 is the scriptural acid test. So what did God tell you? And I've had opportunities with other pastors to try that out. And I've seen those nice, cordial pastors turn to demons Anger, hostility. I was on a program. I told you about that called Coast to Coast. And this is long before my three ABN days, but I was called to, to represent the beliefs of this particular radio st television station. And I was there defending the truth of God's word on air. And the camera crew said, that pastor turned on you, but I'm so glad you didn't turn back on him. They said it was not what you were saying alone, but it's your attitude that made us listen to you. When he began belittling which finger God wrote the commandments with, I said, God wrote the commandments with his fingers. He said, which one? The pinky, his first finger, dex, which one, which, which one did he write it with? 
He began to belittle the commandments of God. And that pastor, still alive today, I asked myself the question, how many people has he led to ignore the commandments of God and say every week, God is speaking through me. But it gets even deeper than that. Revelation 12, 13, verse 12. Look at it. Let's move on. Satan finds an open invitation as a lamb and leads people to abandon their position. He knew how the woman got helped. This is very important. He knew how the United States helped the church in its fledgling stages. He said, I'm not satisfied with that. Do you know that this nation is the last holdout on the agenda of papal Rome? <laughs> and that holdout is about to crumble. But make no mistake about it, Rome does not stand on its own authority. The devil is pulling the strings. What happens to this nation? Speaking of the United States, and the Bible says, and he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. Revelation 13, verse 12. He exercised all the power of the first beast before him and causeth. There's that word. Causeth. He tried earlier, tried to cause the woman to be carried away by the flood. Now he's wanted to cause the earth and them which dwell therein to worship. To do what? Worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Now the apostle John reveals that the second beast will rally the world into homage to worship the first beast. This simply reveals, if you're listening, that the United States would be the active agent pointing the world back to papal Rome. That's why it's no wonder that the papacy has been given the responsibility to write the moral code for social media. Do you also know, and I found this out through one of our programs we did on 3ABN, Jill, and Greg, I found this out as we were sitting with one of our 3ABN guests who deals with the issue of hunger around the world. They said, do you know who we have to, do you know who we have to address in order to find out what, what food is available for people in starving countries? It's controlled by the Vatican. They decide who gets food. It's, a, it's, a, it's under their control. That's their responsibility. But it's going to get even deeper than that. During the time that all these final movements are happening around us, brethren, be awake. During the final movements around us, satanic agencies will now be activated from beneath. Because Satan says, in this last battle, I don't just need people on the ground. I need demons from the portals of hell to work this out with me. I'm not just going after a religious leader or a political leader. I need the economists on my side. I need the, the, the politicians on my side. I want to affect the social aspects of society, and I want to affect the monetary aspects of society. But I need, I need some demons to work with me because somebody's busy proclaiming the three angels' messages. I need three unclean spirits to counteract that. Revelation 16, verse 13 and 14. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophets. Rome, that's spiritualism, the dragon, 
uh, uh, papal Rome, the beast, and apostate Protestantism, the false prophet. Why? Prophets that have abandoned the truth of God's word become false prophets on the estimation of God. But what's happening? Verse 14, for they are the spirits of devils. Demons, the New King James Version says, working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And I said last Sabbath in my sermon that these seven heads and ten horns, these ten kings that have not yet received a kingdom yet, they'll give their power and authority unto the beast for a short time, one hour. Well, listen to what Ellen White says about Revelation chapter 13, verse 11, verses 13 to 17. Listen to this in Selected Messages. Selected Messages, book three, page 393, paragraph one. In Revelation, we read concerning Satan. And she goes on to quote Revelation 13, verse 13 to 17. Watch this. Speaking of the actions of Satan during this time, and he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. She goes on. That the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be what, my brethren? killed and he there's a word again causeth all both what small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive a mark where in their right hand or where in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell economic embargo save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. While that's soaking in, let me dispel another falsity. According to the teaching of the mark of the beast, that's all people talk about, the mark of the beast. But the Bible doesn't talk about just the mark of the beast. It talks about the mark, the name, and the number. Because notice, look at that again. You don't have to have the mark. You could have the name or the number, and the same thing happens. Look at that. That no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark, one, the name, two, or the number of the name, three. This is ideology that you have to have the mark. No, you have to either have allegiance, you stand and receive the mark out of allegiance, or you are standing allegiant to the name, or you are standing allegiant to the number. And I'll deal with that at a future time. But what I'm making very clear, it's not just the mark that makes the difference. The issue is what the focal point is. The issue is worship. Come by and say, somebody ought to say amen. The issue is worship. The issue is not mark, name, or number. These are the resulting factors when you decide to give homage to the beast and his image. Because remember, the beast, we know who that is. The mark, the number, the name. But what about the image? The issue is worship. Can I make it very clear? The refusal to worship God will be followed with economic embargoes leading all the way to a threat on your life that you may be killed. 
How exactly is that going to happen? The Bible has not revealed in specificity. It just reveals it's going to happen. This is the area where I make it very clear to you. Do not get caught in the Procter and Gamble, Ronald Reagan, Mikhail Gorbachev, barcode, QR code, conspiracy theory, nonsense, because those are not about worship. It's about worship. It's about worship. There was no QR code in Daniel's day. It was about worship. There was no QR code in Mar all these hand and brain stuff. Daniel made up his mind, worship the Lord with all thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind. The three Hebrews said, we don't have to consider whether or not we're going to talk to you about this, Nebuchadnezzar. We have made up our minds. If he delivers, fine. If he doesn't, we're our minds are locked. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Those 10 kings later on, they give their mind unto the beasts. Their mi these have one mind. One mind. So the mark is not somebody that gets an, uh, an invisible ink tattooed on your forehead, or you get into some assembly line, click, 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 distraction. Will men attempt to do something like that to distract you? They may try that. But the issue has always been about worship. Now, as I close, let me verify this point. The two beasts of Revelation 13 will unite in a worldwide power. And watch this, brethren. We have focused so much on the fourth commandment, but the two beasts of Revelation 13 are going to go farther than that. They know that the last six commandments have to do with our relationship between us. But they also know the first four commandments have to do with the relationship between man and God. They are going to violate every single one of them. Here's the, here's the previous text. Here's the, here's the text just before that point is made. 2 Thessalonians 2, talking about Satan and how he works and what he desires to do. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, who opposes and exalts himself above, what's the next word? All that is called God or that is what? Worshipped. So, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. I did a sermon called The Appearing not too long ago. Look at that. Look at it again. The Jews are believing and teaching that soon Christ is going to appear in Jerusalem. The seed of God has never been focused on to be in the Vatican. Jerusalem. Evangelicals believe that when the Jews are converted, Jesus will come to Jerusalem. They are all looking to Jerusalem. In the book, Early Writings, Ellen White says, they are those who believe that it is their duty to go to Jerusalem to convert the Jews just before the coming of Jesus. They're focusing on Jerusalem. When Satan comes, he may eventually appear in New York, but he's going to come where everybody's expecting him, to the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And what's going to happen? All the systems that unite with the power of the first and second beast of Revelation 13 will do the following. Here it is. One, the system of the beast, they will blaspheme God. Why? Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Amen. That's the first commandment that they're going to violate. The second one, they will they will form an image. Why? 
Exodus 20, verse 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. It's deeper than just the Sabbath. The third one, this is not in any particular order. They will demand worship. Why? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And finally, the mark is an attack on the Sabbath. Why? Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to do what? Keep it holy. Is the Sabbath a sign between God and his people? As the Sabbath is a sign of allegiance between God and his people, the mark is a sign of allegiance to those who stand with Satan and the forces of darkness against the kingdom and message of God. As the Sabbath is not a literal sign in the forehead or in the hand, but Jesus said about his commandments, put them as frontless between thine eyes. Remember that? Frontless between thine eyes. Mark them upon your hand. Teach them to the children as they sit down and rise up. Were the Jews going around marking folk on their hands and foreheads? No. But who was seeing it? Jesus was. Look at this. Exodus 31, verse 13. The Sabbath is a distinct sign of allegiance to the true God. Exodus 31, verse 13. Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a what, brethren? Sign between me and you. But while Satan works through pagan Rome, while Satan is working through the United States, while Satan is working through Judaism, rejecting the authority of Christ, the Messiahship of Jesus, Islam, rejecting him as a savior of the world, Buddhism, Shakti Yoga, and every Eastern and cultic religion on this planet, Babylon will be the coalition of all those powers together under the leadership of Rome and the political strength and might of the United States. And Revelation 13 makes it clear that this lamb-like beast will camouflage a system that becomes the image to Rome. All you got to do is just listen to people like Rick Warren who says that Rome, we have more in common than Rome, with Rome than we do not. All you got to do is remember Tony Palmer, the, the, the embassage that came and spoke to Kenneth Copeland's leadership of all these evangelical pastors, and he said, the protest is over, so why is there still a Protestant? We are all Catholics. Now I end. God rewards his faithful servants with a sign of loyalty. What is it? Revelation 14, verse 7. Revelation 14, first angels, first of all, we got to begin with that. The, the issue is worship. The first angel's message brings out the issue is worship. Revelation 14, verse 7. Let's say this together. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And do what? Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of waters. What does Satan say in Isaiah 14, 14? I will be like the Most High. And he established a system to take the very thing that belongs only to God. But God will reward his faithful servants 
with a sign of loyalty. Revelation 7, verse 3. Before the world falls apart, he will say through John the Apostle, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we, we have done what? Seal the servants of our God in their what? In their, where? In. What's that word? In their foreheads. Because they have served God with their mind, their heart, and their life. How do I know that? How do I know that? The Bible says it. Ephesians 1 verse 13. Paul the apostle makes it clear. In him you also trusted, that is in Jesus. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, what does the Bible say? You were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is looking for men and women whose hearts can be sealed in obedience and loyalty to the truth of God's word. But the third angel's message highlights what the beast demands. The first angel says, worship God. Look what the third, look what the third angel says. Revelation 14, 9. And now just three short texts and we're done. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man do what? Worship, Worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in the forehead or where? In the hand. Seal of God in the forehead. Mark of the beast in the forehead. So let me answer my question. If the seal of God is literal and God's going to put a seal in your forehead, literally, then the mark of the beast is also literal, and he's going to put a seal in your forehead. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Men will seek to create a diversion, but the issue is worship. Amen. I'm going to say it. It's still a problem. Still get the phone calls and the emails about people, and just please, do not, under, do not misunderstand me. But there's this element in our church, and it's happening in all Christian circles, that somehow, because of COVID, they're seeking to inoculate us with the mark of the beast. And the issue is not a vaccine, it's about worship. Come on, somebody. Don't misunderstand. This is not a political statement. This is the distractions of a demon that is saying to you, doesn't matter how you worship, just don't get the vaccine. Did you get what I just said? Worship however you want because that's not the issue. The issue is the vaccine. Or the issue is the masks. And he's masking the real issue because the issue is worship. Last two texts. Satan does not reward his followers. Let me make it very clear. Satan does not reward his followers. Jesus rewards his followers with the seal. Of approval Satan does not reward his followers but he causes them to be marked by God Revelation 13 16 and he causeth all both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead 
as God marked Cain for his disobedience and worship, their allegiance to the system of the beast will cause them to be marked as their allegiance to a system that opposes God. And that is why, Shelley, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 4, verse 30. You see, when you choose not to worship, something happens. Something happens. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were, say the rest with me, sealed for the, for the day of redemption. Last Sabbath, I asked you the question, is it possible that the mark of the beast in the forehead and in the hand is literal as the seal of God in the forehead? And the answer is this. If the seal of God in the forehead is literal, so also is the mark of the beast in the forehead or in the hand. But my brethren, don't be distracted. The issue is worship. You see, we've got to choose who to worship. Choose you this day whom ye will serve. Now I'm going to ask you to stand for one particular reason. And I want you to think this through before you stand. Do you want to be a part of the elect? You can't be a part of the elect and be scripturally ignorant and avoid the opportunities to strengthen your mind because what is here won't be the deciding factor between where you stand. Seal of God in the forehead. Their minds are so transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when the world sees it, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you want to be in that group, would you stand with me? Gracious Father, loving Lord, you told us it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I stand here today, Father, not that I have already attained or am perfect, but I want to press towards the mark for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I see a mark, Lord, before me, and that's the mark I'm aiming at, to be your son, to be sealed by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to not be enamored by the mark of the beast, but by the mark for the prize of the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In this moment of solemn contemplation, we pray that we can ask ourselves our questions. Where do we stand? What kind of passion for Christ do I have? What kind of devotion to preparing my mind for this final battle am I making? Am I so exhausted that the world has taken the best of me and Christ doesn't even get the rest of me? We know the enemy is coming and we know you're going to win, Jesus. But you have said, 
put on the whole armor of God. And that armor includes the sword of the spirit. So may we be students of the word. May the transforming grace of Christ be reflected in our lives. May the spirit of God seal us in the character of your righteousness. So that when that day comes, the light that you bestow upon us will shine so bright that the Gentiles will come to the brightness of our rising and that your kingdom will be furnished with souls for eternity. Father, may we be humble not to label any particular denomination as lost. This is not about denominational. It's not a, about hating any particular church above the other, but it's about the truth of your word. It's about who and how we worship. It's about whom we worship. It is about on whose side we stand. And may some of us make a decision to put down the political garbage. Stop talking about mere mortal men. Stop raising them to the elevation of some demagogue and only lift up Jesus. That this church will not only have a remnant message and be a remnant church, but it will be filled with the elect, the remnant of her seed. And we ask all this, Lord, that your name may be glorified. And we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.